welcome to Switchbacks, a travel podcast where we explore our year in the national parks, our international travel experiences, and our love for everything budget travel. We're Cole and Elizabeth Donaldson, a regular Midwest couple who quit our jobs and set off on a year-long adventure to all 59 U.S. national parks in 2016. That set us off on a travel addiction, and since then we've visited over 50 countries. We've made travel a priority without breaking the bank, and we're here to share that with you. Elizabeth. Cole. Clark. Who's Clark? He's sleeping. So remember when we uh, said last episode that we were going to for sure not make any excuses and be uh, releasing the next episode right on the first uh, Monday of June and then June came and we were nowhere. Um, I'm sure you were all like tearing your hair out just like, where's the Switchbacks podcast episode? I can't can't deal without it. Uh, Wow, you're, uh, you really think a lot of ourselves, don't we? I do. I have high, high confidence. <laughs> uh, well, we had a very good excuse on the 1st of June. Where were we on the 1st of June? In the hospital. Yeah, so I don't even remember what that Monday was that is the first Monday in June. Oh, first Monday in June, yeah. right. But, Still in the hospital. Yeah, anyway, we had a son. Yeah, Clark was born on June 10th, and in... Just four weeks early. Slightly eventful, um, with a little bit of drama. Just like, I think he wanted a little bit of, a little bit of excitement. In his grand entrance, yeah. So basically, we'll we'll keep this part of the episode short, Um, but we learned a lot about the human heart, and especially... A child's heart because Clark had a little bit of an arrhythmia, an irregular beat in his heart. They detected it when Elizabeth was 34 weeks pregnant and we stayed in the hospital for a little bit with her getting that treated and then uh, they said once he comes out, once he's born, uh, it's going to be a quick, pretty quick fix relatively and he won't have any more problems. So they did the quick fix when he was born, um, through you know a little early, as we said, just because they wanted to get him out and, and fix the heart as soon as possible, and then um, it didn't take. So then we were kind of like, what the heck? Uh, this was supposed to be in our rearview mirror and enjoying mm-hmm. our son by now. Um, but he had a couple more tricks up his sleeve, and he made us a little more nervous, a couple <laughs> more days in the hospital, but um, the bottom line is, his heart is beating very regularly now. Um, you know, he's got that little fast infant heartbeat, about 125 beats per minute. We actually uh, get to take his heartbeat every couple times a day. Every eight hours. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's along with when we give him his medicine at home. But anyway. He's the home point, and yeah, he's the, perfect. Yeah. The point that's, is, that's the bottom line. we're home, he's home, and we are so happy. Um, yeah, he, we're staring at him right now because he's in Elizabeth's arms. Yeah, so if you hear cute little baby noises, that's what that's where they're coming from, not coming from Cole. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, not so this he time. Is, he is three weeks old today, and we are just enjoying lots of snuggles and totally new routine and lots of very, very different schedule than we're used to. So it feels good to be recording a podcast today. It feels a little bit more normal than what we're used to in the last three weeks. Yeah. So here we are. Here we are. And today we have a continuation of our last podcast, which was all about baby mooning and what is a baby moon, how you should think about a baby moon, tips for setting up your baby moon, uh, because as you can tell, we are in like baby season of life. <laughs> uh, we will be for a while. That's right. I have a feeling. So if you missed that episode, please check it out. Episode uh, 64, I believe. I think... Or 63. 60, I think this might be 64. Cool. Might have to double check us on that. And yeah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> and um, this time we're actually talking about the destination. So we talked a little about what is a baby moon, like all that stuff. Now we're talking about what we actually did on our baby moon, a lot more of the content of where we went, which was the Azores. And if you haven't heard of the Azores, it's incredible. You uh, stay tuned because we'll tell you all about it. You got to, uh, it's got to be on your list. This was, and this was a place that was on our list for a really long time. So I'm really well, excited to talk about it. Not a really long time. If you time. count a long time as a year. like It's like two years. We first heard about it. A in, year? <laughs> Is yeah, that all it was? In January 2017, 18. January 2018, I remember uh, when we were hiking in Panama because we were listening to another person's podcast, um, like Extra Pack of Peanuts or something, and uh, that's just a travel podcast we enjoy. Um, and they talked about the Azores. They hadn't been, I don't think, but it was like on their places to go in this year. You know, it's like a, a year in uh, anticipation mm-hmm. episode. So. So it really was only about a year and a couple months. But that our we're pretty we have a pretty quick turnaround with our travel fantasies I feel like yeah so maybe that did feel like really long for us well we heard about it there for the first time and then we kept hearing about it probably because we were looking into it mm-hmm. and then we just uh, were you know in tune to the travel world um, and it just kept coming up in people's mouths so we knew we had to get there yeah and everyone kept talking about it like this place and I think that's what built the anticipation for us and why we're why we were so excited to go and why we're so excited to talk about it now is because it was this place that to us sounded perfect like unexplored but had a lot of great hiking and a lot of great um, outdoors experiences and it was called adventure and adventurer's paradise Um, but yet it was not very not crowded and it was still charming still quaint and so, honestly, European, yeah. which means it has, you know, you can imagine the type of infrastructure, good some infrastructure it has. Conveniences. Um, a little more comfortable for some people, perhaps. Uh, easier to get to. So, yeah, all of those things made it really appealing to not just adventure travelers, but across the board. Uh, 
so yeah, and but at the same time, it's European. It's not the expensive European. So anyway, before we get into that, I want to take a second and talk about um, just do a tangent, an entrepreneurial tangent, say, because um, at uh, Switchback Kids here, we you know we do our blog and we do our podcast. And at, you know, when we were first starting it, we were thinking this, is, this could be a little side hustle for us. And um, eventually we realized that it is just a passion. And we don't want to put pressure on that passion. We don't want to turn that passion, put the pressure of turning uh, a dollar on it, a quick dollar, or make it into a business. Um, that's just that's hard work. And uh, we wanted this to be our fun so we decided a, a long time ago that we weren't going to put the pressures of um, making switchback kids into a business, but we, and especially me, I would say, you know, just being in, just coming out of the MBA world and actually having an emphasis in entrepreneurship, um, I really love the idea of people starting their own businesses, doing something new, and trying to make something out of nothing. Um, so it was just kind of on my mind to share two companies that we've heard of recently that are sound just really cool uh, in the outdoor space. Um, and the first one is I actually heard of at a presentation, like they give a pitch at some event I went to. So it's a local St. Louis company, but they um, you know, work nationwide and they're called Outside360 or Outside360.com where you can find them. Um, and this is, this one was really cool. It immediately caught my attention because it's basically Airbnb for the outdoors. And specifically, if you know of Airbnb experiences, uh, they follow a lot of that model. Basically, anything uh, you might want to do outdoors, they have hosts on their platform that allow you to search for a specific experience, whether it's fishing or boating or hunting or camping. Uh, they have hosts that let you do that on their property or take you to do that with them as the experts and guide you. Um, and then you know you pay them a fee and get the experience for you, your family, your friends. Um, so it, it just sounded like uh, you know it's, it's in its early stages and still looking for you know new hosts if you have something you want to promote on the platform or if you want to go check it out outside 360.com I got to know the founder uh, and she uh, Muriel is just sounds like an amazing woman um, and I just love what they're doing. You know, from their website, it says uh, a peer-to-peer -peer marketplace connects hosts and users through online listings for outdoor recreational opportunities. Um, you know, they, they the passion for the outdoors and just the whole breadth of outdoor recreation um, was just evident from talking to her. So really encourage you to, guys to just take a, a peek at Outside360.com. And the other one was something we got um, contacted about through email, and you know a lot of people contact us uh, asking if we want to like put a link placement on our website and stuff. And 
Uh, like I mentioned at the beginning, we usually don't do that because um, we, when we decided not to try to turn Switchback Kids in the, into a business, it, it really alleviated all that pressure and made us, allowed us to be really genuine about our content and only do what we wanted instead of selling out to all of these people who are trying to you know, get link placements and product placements and whatnot. Um, but I thought this one was just interesting. You know, they didn't give me anything to say any of this, but um, it's basically part of the sharing economy. And it's RVs that other people own that you can rent uh, by, you know, the day, week, maybe month. Um, and, you know, they're all around the country. On the website, it, it says, like, it has a huge inventory from affordable pop-ups to luxury motorhomes. Um, so basically, you just go on here and search for an RV that you might want for your travel, and you can get set up renting it from a specific person. And because of that, they have like thousands of different RVs to choose from, um, and they have all the security and you know whatever. They, I guess it says 24/7 emergency roadside assistance. Um, so yeah, that would be another one to check out, rvshare.com. Uh, I'm seeing uh, some pretty good prices, I suppose. We've never done RVs, but if we wanted to try it out, this might be a good option because it says, like, Florida, you can rent an RV for $135 per night. Um, so that's their average there. And, you know, it's 109 for like a tow behind thing. And then the luxury, most you know, uh, luxe motorhome is two forty-five. So it has a pretty good range. Um, so something to think about if you're doing a summer road trip. Uh, and with that, I'll end my uh, t my feature on two random outdoors companies that kind of caught our eye. Uh, that's uh, Outside360.com and RVShare.com. So yeah, and I think it's good to share about these things every once in a while. Because we don't do these sponsors like Cole was talking about, we really don't share that much about companies that we think are interesting um, or products or anything that we think that we find interesting. Um, so, yeah, I'm glad you shared those too. I would definitely rent an RV. It, yeah, it sounds pretty handy, right? It does, yeah. Um, all right, Azores. Azores. It was so fun to look back at all our pictures preparing for this podcast because we did some awesome stuff. It was such a good trip. And I think because we rolled it right into like a second week in, in Lisbon and Porto, we didn't get a ton of time to like really maybe reflect on the actual week we spent or the nine days or so that we spent in the Azores. But we got to do that today and it was, we did some really, really cool stuff. So what are the Azores, Elizabeth? So the Azores were a place that I had never heard of, for sure, and I definitely couldn't have pointed to it on a map. So if you look at the, a map of the Atlantic Ocean, it's about, what, three-fifths or two-thirds-ish of the way from the United States to Europe. So it's about, eight, it's about 850 miles off the coast of Portugal, and it's this nine-island archipelago just in the middle of the ocean, and definitely did not know that it existed before this. Yeah, and the really interesting thing is that, um, I mean, 
it, it's got so much like there are they are part of Portugal, but they have such a unique identity because they were a stopover, a refueling station for all of these ships um, throughout the past centuries, and um, you know th- then they had a huge whaling boom that just ended you know in the mid nineteen hundreds, and I in like the eighties or like the seventies. Yeah, I thought it, it was on. even as recent as. As that, yeah. yeah, it was like the last bastion for modern day whaling, essentially. Um, but yeah, such a unique uh, subculture, really. And even the U.S. has its own slice of Azorians. Boston apparently has a ton of there's, Azorian transplants. Yeah, there's a very strong connection between Boston and the Azores, and I think part of it had to do with one of the. There were definitely some. Uh, Bostontonians who settled in the Azores too and kind of set up camp in and I know at least on on San Miguel on the main island because um, you remember the botanical garden that was set up by yeah the Bostonian so mm-hmm. and the flights are the direct flights are from Boston to to the Azores so there is this kind of interesting connection between the the Boston and the Azores. Um, but yeah, anyway, so talk about the flights, and so yeah. that that's a little like a brief intro, and the flights uh, are obviously the main way to get to the islands. The only way to get to the island is to fly, <laughs> um, although there there might be a cruise or something too. But anyway, yeah, um, most people get there by flying. We found that there was this direct flight from Boston straight to the Azores. Um, there's also on Azores I, Airlines. Air, Azores Airlines, I believe Toronto is the other direct flight, and we found flights because we were only going one way from because we were going on to Lisbon afterwards. So we flew from Boston to Ponta Delgada, which is the main island, uh, this a city in the main island of the Azores for 178 dollars each. So we we flew for 356 dollars. We didn't use points or anything. It was one of the first flights we've paid full price for in a lot in many many years. Um, but yeah, that's how we got to the islands. Um, there are also direct flights from places in Europe. So for sure, uh, Porto and Lisbon, and I'm sh- maybe some London. other London. Yeah, yeah the big definitely places. some other major cities. And the. Um, it, the flights that was in March. That was in late March that we got those prices of like 178 per. Um, right now, I'm looking at the price graph on Google, and the lowest, absolute lowest I see, you know, from here from now until uh, mid September is 249 one way from Boston to the main island in the Azores. So I would say summer is you know, definitely peak season there as well, um, like it is most places. So we went in the shoulder season and we really liked that. Um, it was you know cheaper flights, definitely, but also cheaper accommodations and other things. But really- Almost non-existent crowds. Yeah, really less crowded. Than we expected. Yeah. So as far as getting there and then getting around um, uh, from island to island, 
we wanted to do a little bit of island hopping. Depending on how much time you have to visit the Azores, you might want to do some island hopping as well. Um, there are flights between all, pretty much all of the islands, um, especially the big islands. And there, there were the ones that we found were through Azores Airlines uh, were all about $100 one way. So if you, you know, definitely spend some time on Google Flights. <laughs> we definitely spent hours and hours and hours on Google Flights. Probably too long. Mapping it all out because it worked. not every, you know, not there's not a connection between every island every single day of the week. You know, some only from on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And anyway, just look at your calendar, look at the time you have and kind of map out your route. That would be the first big, <laughs> the first big step. Another variable is that there are ferries. So, you know, especially during the peak season, there are a lot more frequent ferries. So you can consider that route too. We um, took a, f- we decided to visit three islands, uh, which was, we had about 10 days there at, um, in the Azores. Uh, and three islands in those 10 days, I definitely wouldn't want to uh, have wanted any less days than that um, because that seemed felt pretty tight already um, if you you know everything we read said if you only have you know five days or so just go to the main island don't even bother trying to split your time if it's your first time going to the Azores um, because there definitely is plenty to do on San Miguel. Yep, you'll stay busy. It's really diverse too, so you don't have to worry about missing out on elements of um, that are you know each island does have unique points, but the main island gives you the the full picture I would say or the fullest picture. Um, definitely. So our route, our itinerary looked like this. We spent four days. On San Miguel, we flew to Sao Jorge, and we spent two days in Sao Jorge, and then we ferried to Pico, and we spent two days in Pico, and then we took a one last ferry to uh, Fael. Is that how you say it? Fael? Yeah. Um, but we immediately flew, so we just ferried and got in a taxi and went to the airport, so we didn't spend any time on this island um, but because of all of our Google flight time <laughs> spent on Google flights, um, that was the cheapest and best way to get back to Lisbon. Um, so we hop, we hopped on a quick ferry and then immediately got on to a flight to Lisbon from Fael. Um, so we technically visited four islands, even though <laughs> <laughs> even though it did not well, really count. and we had a stopover in a in fifth island. Tercera, <laughs> but technically, yeah. yeah, but we'll count it as three as yeah. visiting three islands because that was plenty in in nine days, like you said. So the main island is a must. So let's assume it's your first time. Main island is a must. I would also. I was very happy with the two others we picked. We debated a lot which other islands to go to. You know, we thought about maybe going to Flores, which is you know the farthest west island. And they say that one's really good for hiking and outdoors and it's got waterfalls and it's just very lush. Yeah, and a lot less traveled because it's so much farther west. Um, So we really considered that. Um, We also thought briefly about uh, an island called Santa Maria, which is the southernmost island. Uh, And that one is a little different. It's really known for its nicer beaches. Uh, 
uh, and it's a little warmer. And it's very close to San Miguel, so we thought that would be just a quick, easy, you know, if we wanted to just add one island on, which I still think would be a great idea, especially if it was summer and we were interested in beaches. (laughs) Yes, Um, but we ended up going with um, San Miguel, then Sao George, and Pico, Uh, and I, I think it was two great options. We spent, like Elizabeth said, three days each in, or, or really two... Two days each in Sao George and Pico. Yeah, two full days. I would say that's a little light, and we'll get into the reasons why in a bit. Um, but that's a little bit of the planning and logistics. Definitely the biggest hurdle is the planning and logistics for the Azores, um, just because of like we talked about, just there's a lot of different connections between the islands and you just really have to decide what you want to do. If you're really into the whales, you might want to go to one island versus if you're really into hiking, you might want to focus on a different one. Um, so that was our plan and I was really happy with how that worked out for us. And real quick anecdote about, which also fits into the planning and logistics uh, segment, um, don't forget about, you know, if you're taking Azores Airlines or whatever airline you're taking to the Azores, there aren't many that fly there, and you'll probably have to switch from one domestic U.S. airline to you know, an airline to take you to the islands. We flew from uh, St. Louis uh, on southwest to Boston, and then we were supposed to catch a flight onto Azores, and we had like a three-hour gap. Uh, which we thought was plenty until our Southwest flight was delayed three hours. And just imagine like a whole chaotic scene of like us fretting in the airport for, you know, two hours and 45 minutes till we board our flight and running to try and catch the plane and then getting stranded at the airport, walking, you know, thinking. I'm also six months pregnant at this point. Yeah. Just remember that. I like to make that known. And then we have to like leave the airport and find a hotel at 2 a.m. And there's a. only one flight a day, and it's at like 11 o'clock p.m. It's a red-eye flight to from Boston to the Azores. It's only one per one per day. So we knew we, we just missed out on 24 hours of our trip. Yeah, that was the toughest part, definitely, is knowing that this misconnection, which we didn't think was our fault at all, um, because it wasn't, it was costing us one, maybe two days of our vacation. So just be careful about all of that. We thought we were going to have to drive from Boston to Toronto to catch you know, <laughs> the only other flight that was going out the next day to the islands in all of you know, North America. Uh, but... Um, we actually made a last minute Hail Mary and stopped at the um, Boston airport on our way out of town to see if there would be any no-shows on that booked flight that was supposed to be fully booked that day, that day after we missed ours. And it turned out... By some miracle... The travel gods smiled on us. Got on that flight that night, only missed one day of our trip. No big deal. But bottom line, maybe play on getting to Boston in the morning and spend the tw- spend twelve hours in Boston. That that would be that would be fun too. Yeah. Or spend the night in Boston and guarantee that you're gonna get on your flight to the Azores. Yes. Anyway, moving on from flights, the next thing that we like to lock down with any trip are accommodations. So once we have our flights, we know our dates, we know where we're gonna be during what 
what day. Um, so accommodations, we're not going to spend a ton of time talking about this. The one thing, one of the things I wanted to note is that I am like an Airbnb queen and Azores are not great for Airbnb. I will say that I was, I did not have luck finding good Airbnbs in the Azores. Certainly there are tons of Airbnb options. I did not find them as cheap or as, um, amenity rich as the, the, uh, combinations I found through booking.com. Um, so we found some really great places on each island. The uh, the first on San Miguel, we stayed in two different places because the, the one place we stayed for three nights was really nice. It was like kind of a luxury hmm. hotel, which was we do $80 not... $80 a night, which, I, <laughs> which is, if you know us... really bumps up our average <laughs> a cost per night. We only spent... So we spent $54.00. And fifty cents on average per night on our nine days in the Azores, um, and that eighty dollars that was that was pretty high. But it was it was definitely luxurious by by anyone's standards, I think. Unless my my perception is just way off at this point. Well, yeah, the included <laughs> breakfast was amazing. Yeah, it was just a really modern new new hotel. It had a spa, which I wanted because I wanted a prenatal massage. And it had a pool, an indoor pool, and an outdoor pool, and it was right on the ocean. And it was had a lovely, gigantic king beds that were just wonderful. And I think it was a really great place for yeah. eighty bucks. Anyway, the we also stayed one one night at a place before we got to this the nice hotel. Uh, we were supposed to spend two nights, but because of our missed flight, um, so we just stayed at a little guest house, which was also pretty lovely. Not as comfortable though, but yeah. it was only like thirty dollars, and then. Um, and the guy there was so nice. He set us up with all types of maps, and you could tell he just loved, you know, spouting off all these things you could do yeah, on the his guest, island. The guest house experience would be a good thing to do if you if you go stay in the Azores. So this was just you know a big house. It had probably at least four, you know, three or four rooms that he rented out. Um, it just had a you know a double bed, and then we had a bathroom in the hallway, so it was technically shared. But I don't think we even really saw anyone until the next morning at breakfast. There were a few other guests uh, when we were leaving. But anyway, guest house would be a great idea. Also through booking, you can find apartments. So like when we went to South George, we stayed in a, a full fully equipped apartment um, at the very edge of the island, which was not the most the super most convenient place. Um, it was the town of Topo. That's where it was. Yeah, so the town of Topo on the very tip of South George. Um, but still very nice, very affordable, great people. Um, and then in Pico, we stayed at another apartment that was huge. It had two bedrooms. It was way too big for us. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it was very, very cheap. $34 a night, I'm seeing. Yeah. And um, a view had of a the mountain. very great view of Pico and a great view of the ocean, um, which yeah. sounds really cool. But basically, every place on Pico <laughs> has a view of the mountain and the ocean because the only the, the island is, so is the mountain, yeah. um, and of course, the island is in the ocean. Uh, yeah. But, so with accommodations, definitely look at Airbnb. Definitely look at booking, but just have some confidence that you can book something that's not just like a general you know, big hotel or through a, a, a booking agency or something um, because there's lots of options out there that are very affordable. 
and it didn't seem like they got booked up super quickly. Like, like again, we went in the shoulder season, but it wasn't like there was nothing out there. Um, these good places definitely booked up quickly, but if you're going last minute, also have confidence that there will be some supply. Uh, and if you want to know exactly which places we went and stayed at, uh, that is all in our trip report, as is a lot of this more detailed information, specific names of places and whatnot. Um, it's our trip report on switchbackkids.com, our blog. It's called Trip Report, Nine Days in the Azores on switchbackkids.com. Yeah, we'll have it in the show notes. Yeah. So and also you can Google it if you want to, <laughs> if I'm, you want to read way, way more details. I know everybody's probably out there taking notes, but... If you're not, you can just go to the blog. <laughs> yes. So now for my favorite part, um, activities. So we want to go through some of our very favorite things that we did, the favorite experiences, um, because that's what you know. That's what we like to focus on. That's what we like to spend our attention on. Usually, that's where we like to spend our money on. Although I will say most activities in the Azores are free, uh, which was a nice, pleasant surprise for us. Um, either free or very very cheap yeah if you know us you know that like we'll get the cheapest plane ticket almost the cheapest accommodations and get all the street food we can and then really spend our money on things we feel like we could never do um, elsewhere like never do back home which are activities meaning you know the, the, the hikes the tours the museums the city walks, all of that good stuff. The whale watching. Yeah. So Which we attempted. We broke this down by island. Mm-hmm. So let's start at San Miguel. San Miguel. So very favorite activities. I would define it, and I, I think it's interesting to have like a theme here, um, by the calderas throughout the island, the volcanic activity, and the miradoros, which is Portuguese for lookout or overlook. Um, or viewpoint, basically. Um, so lots of hiking, lots of scenic drives, um, and some cool volcanic activity. So very favorite things that we did. Should we start with hikes? Well, yeah. Or just start at the beginning? Well, just start at the okay. beginning. So pretty close to where we were staying, there's a, a tea plantation called the Goriana Tea Factory. And a, a couple little trails around there. You can do some free tea tasting. They have an educational video and a little museum. You can walk through like a little self-guided tour. Um, definitely worth a stop, especially if it's raining or something like that. Definitely liked that stop. Yeah, it, it was cool because you could really see the industry of the islands. You know, this specific tea factory, there are also a lot of diff uh, pineapple plantations. We went to a, and toured one. Uh, there was also, you know, we mentioned the whaling museums that we'll get to later, and also... Um, the coffee. Yeah, There's coffee. coffee on San George. Yeah. The, the cheese. And, and the cows, you know, obviously out to pasture. Um, it, I liked it because it wasn't just tourism the islands had so much more in their economy than just tourism and that makes it really a lot richer mm -hmm. as a tourist uh, being able to see and experience and learn about all of that and that's something that's worth noting that might change too if you if you don't go there soon tourism is getting bigger and bigger and bigger um, in the Azores so 
we we felt like it was still very authentic and genuine and uh, kind of charming. Um, but the longer you wait to go, the less likely you will kind of see that kind of vibe too. Yeah. So the first favorite was Goriana Tea Factory um, on the north side of the island. Loved walking around through the tea hedges, basically. Mm-hmm. And, and it was just really cool. Um, the second favorite is a place called Terra Nostra and that actually has it's like a hotel resort restaurant but attached to it is a bathhouse and huge botanical garden right mm-hmm. yeah and I, I read it's the oldest botanical garden in the Azores this is the one that was um, founded by the that guy from Boston um, and this was one of my very favorite stops. It's in the town of Furness, which is definitely like a must a must see for your um, time on San Miguel. Um, but basically, just wander through the garden. We could have spent hours and hours there. Unfortunately, we got there in the afternoon and we only had, I think it closed, what time, five or 5.30 or six or something. So we, we had like a few hours to walk through the garden and then we had like an hour and a half or two hours to just soak in the, in the hot springs. Um, so we definitely spent our time wisely. Yeah, and they started. Didn't, they didn't chase us out. I no, feel like that was plenty of time. Not. I would have. I. I mean, it was. It was huge. It was a huge place, much yeah. bigger garden than I expected. Um, but one of the cool things is that you can start at the hotel restaurant, and which is what we did, and we got to try the cozita, which is the dish that is kind of like a stew of meat and potatoes and vegetables, um, but it's cooked in the hot springs. So it has that kind of like smoky, sulfuric almost, but in a good way, (laughs) uh, flavor to it. Lots of flavor. And these aren't just hot springs either. They're like fumaroles. So if you're not familiar with that term, we basically learned it there. Uh, It's, you know, these uh, vol- volcanic areas that cook with this you know, water in the ground that's heated up because of all the volcanic activity. Um, and like Elizabeth said, these uh, stew pots at, at this one area are dug into um, or, and placed in holes in the ground. Uh, so it's really cool. You can go to the place because the place itself where they have the fumaroles and do the cooking is kind of a tourist attraction. Um, and if you've been to Yellowstone National Park, it reminds it reminded me a lot of the, a very yeah. miniature version of Yellowstone. Yeah, where you can walk on the boardwalks through these like bubbling, you know, fumaroles that are just mud pots mud and stuff pots, like yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Um, not really geysers, but still super cool. But um, you know, definitely check that out in the furnace area. But the must do, you know, we kind of will be, you know, highlighting our must dos, a few disappointments and surprises. Um, but a must do here was Terra Nostra. Go all in for the Cosita. It was a little pricey. I think it was. Uh, but not really. It was 40 euros. 40 euros for, for two servings for both, you know, so a serving for each of us plus two park entrances. Yeah. Which are eight euros each if you just go to the park with the with the um, hot spring, the thermal pool in it. Um, so really it was like 
what, 20, what, my math is bad, 24, so $12 each for a huge meal, which is not expensive. Yeah. 12 euros each, I should say. Um, so the so meal, yeah, definitely yeah. a must do. Yeah, meal was a home run. The botanical garden was a really cool surprise. And the bathhouse and just sitting in this really orange, uh, sulfury <laughs> water, at like a heated, you know, like hot spring water was actually really relaxing. Super relaxing. And I will say, being on a baby moon, it wasn't too hot for me. I felt totally safe being soaking in it. It wasn't like overly steamy or anything. So anyway, definitely a must do. The other things that we loved doing were just stopping at all the Miradoros. So our favorite ones, we'll just kind of list them off really quick. Miradoro uh, do Rey, which is, uh, overlooks um, uh, Sete Cidades, which is one of the big touristy spots on San Miguel. That, that was a really cool overlook because it had this abandoned hotel that Cole explored a little bit. I did not explore because I was not willing to jump the do not enter fence <laughs> pregnant. Um, but that, that was definitely a, a stop worth worth exploring a little bit. Um, near Furnas, the town, up above the town of Furnas, there's a, an overlook called Pico de Ferro. And there's some trails that go off of that overlook also. That was a cool one. And then on the east side of the island, when we spent our day exploring over there, there was a, a stop called Ponta do Sosego, I think. So, yeah, Sosego. And that one was just the most beautiful overlook. I One of the most beautiful overlooks I've ever seen. It looked like a garden. It was just lined with tons of flowers and had a lot of good picnic tables and uh, would just be a really great place to stop and take a little break. Yeah, and she's talking about here the overlook itself, not even the view, which was also great. Yeah. But the cool thing... Just the of, overlook setup. <laughs> yeah, the cool thing about all around the Azores, but specifically San Miguel, were the fantastic Miradoros. Plenty of parking at most of them. Um, very, you know, just good pull-offs and then... Like she said, picnic tables, uh, really well-maintained flowers, gardens. Uh, you could tell they took a lot of pride in them. And um, yeah, it'd just be a great place to relax for, for a while. Um, so, And they're all around the island because the, the, island is, the whole island is super mountainous. Um, another reason why we really recommend... Uh, getting a car. We didn't talk about this in the oh, yeah. uh, planning and logistics, but we really recommend renting a car. We did it on all three islands. We think it's the best way to have maximum flexibility and get around to see all of these things um, at your own pace and be able to stop at random places like uh, Miradoro that catches your eye or comes around when you're ready for lunch. Um, so high pass on the Miradoros. Um, also, real quick, I'm going to mention and brag on the hotel because I know you would gloss over it, but I really uh, enjoyed going through this abandoned hotel. It was super cool oh, that hotel. and fascinating. <laughs> oh, no. I thought you were um, talking about the hotel I found. No, that was great, too. <laughs> But the, this one for me, I mentioned I'm going to highlight the surprises. This was a surprise 
she had done the research for the, the, the island, so I had no idea that there was this abandoned hotel. Um, and it wasn't like a lot like an uh, strictly off limits they're going to prosecute you type thing it was there were definitely th- do not enter signs everywhere there was that but yes but there were also people but there were people everywhere, everywhere inside too. already yeah. <laughs> so i f- did, felt totally comfortable going in and i just was really fascinated by how run down the place was and how i mean it's it's falling apart um, but you can still climb all the way like through all of the old um, rooms and you know go out on all of the balconies and even onto the roof um, it uh, yeah it, it, the and, and you get some really cool pictures too of just like desolate um, ruinous architecture and you know you can imagine how pretty it would have been in its heyday but now is kind of this shell um, that is oddly fascinating (laughs) so that was a big surprise highlight for me yeah so now getting into the hikes that we did um all the azores are are very famous for their hiking we didn't do any super hard hikes because uh baby moon six months pregnant got out of breath when i was just walking like in a straight line um so we didn't do a ton of high elevation stuff but we did get some good hikes in on all the islands so yeah, don't let Elizabeth fool you. She was a major trooper. <laughs> um, she was. She did not miss a beat on this vacation. Well, there are some things we could have done. Anyway, um, the the hikes that we liked on San Miguel, the Rocha or Roca, I probably Rocha de Relva, Rocha mm-hmm. de Relva, which was three point four miles total. We only did probably half of that. Um, it's kind of by the airport. Yes, and you basically just start up very high, and you hike all the way down all these switchbacks and this t- this little like cobblestone path down to this town, and then back up, <laughs> and that's um, you, it goes further. It can go up beyond the town, and then back down to the town and up. Um, but it's basically one of those things. It's it's kind of like just a road, uh, just a road that people in the town use all the time. Um, and by so road, she means like as... the size of a sidewalk, and they take motorcycles down, sure. maybe mules, <laughs> but you definitely can't drive a car down there. Um, so it was really cool to be on the side of this cliff going yeah. down to the and hamlet. And had super good views of the ocean, super good views of this little, cute little town. You're walking like through, um, you know, right up next to the houses, um, so you're almost like walking through their yards. And it had like a very, just a very like cool old European vibe to it um, but super you know very natural and very very beautiful too yeah that gets the must-do stamp for me yeah definitely the other hikes we liked I really liked the um, Salto de Prego it the full name of the trail is called Fael da de Terra to Salto de Prego um, so just look up Salto de Prego and and you'll find it um, it's 2.7 miles. It was a loop, and I really liked that you get to the, you know, you're hiking kind of through the forest first, and you get to the waterfall, and then you go up a little bit more, and then you're walking down through this this little abandoned village, um, and you get to these really cool cobblestone switchbacks that overlook the town and the ocean, and and the theme of all these hikes <laughs> basically are overlook the ocean. Um, 
like Cole said, all these islands have great views of the ocean almost everywhere you look. And, but yeah, to see these waterfalls in the middle of these uh, green islands, just really, really cool. So that was my probably my favorite hike on the island. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we did a couple others too. Um, there was a little 1.5 mile trail to Canary Lagoon uh, and a specific Miradoro. Um, do you remember? Da Boca do Inferno. That was the cool, like, that's the picture you see if you see a picture of the Azores. Um, ah, it's like yep. the famous picture where you see like a, this uh, Sete Cidades, the, the lakes in the background and the, the like the dirt trail going to this cool little point that that has a good overlook um and one lake on the left worth. side is like real blue and then the other lake is real green on the yeah, other there's side this, like myth about i don't even remember we didn't hear the whole thing but there's the myth, <laughs> this myth about the two lakes and why one's green and one's blue anyway look it up if or go to a get a tour guide or something <laughs> to figure out that story Anyway, definitely worth the short little trail. And a lot of people do it. It's definitely popular, but it's definitely worth it. And there's a ton of other trails, too. Uh, We felt those looked some of the most promising and were reasonable mileage. Um, Another one that I struck out on my own for was called Janela do Inferno. And, um, you know, I wouldn't make this a must-do, but it was a, a cool hike if you're up for... I think it was 7.6 kilometers, so 4.7 miles. Um, some real interesting, like, interior of the Azores stuff. You went through some aqueducts and whatnot, um, like old remnants of, you know, their old farmlands. Um, and yeah. definitely, definitely go to the visitor center in Ponta Delgada and grab all the brochures you can because they have very, very, very good information about their hikes. That was one thing I was super impressed with. Every single trail, they have a a brochure with a colored map with um, topography, like the elevation the whole time, the the kilometers that it is, the hours it's going to take you, the like a a full description of what you're going to see at each mile and really, really detailed information. But you do have to ask for it. It's kind of like behind the desk. So talk to them about hiking first thing when you get to the island. Absolutely. So then we kind of had our miscellaneous after, um, you know, the kind of cultural pieces and the calderas, the miradoros, the hikes, all of those buckets. um, We kind of had our miscellaneous of um, number one, probably my favorite, was uh, Ferraria. Uh, I guess it was just called Ferraria, Mm -hmm. right? Um, This is a location like... If you're going uh, to the eastern half or the western half of the island, it's past Sete Cidades on the very western edge. Um, You have to go down all the way to the coast, and it's a location where there's a hot spring coming out of the, the island into the ocean. And at this, at this point, you can go down and basically sit in the crashing waves in this kind of uh, semi-secluded cove um, and, and just kind of feel the really interesting sensation of you know, waves rocking you, 
uh, back into the warm, like, mm-hmm. heated water and then pulling you out to the cold. Um, it was really cool. Very cool. They have some ropes you can hang on to. Um, and then, and it's cool because you can kind of pick your temperature too. So if you go all the way back to where the rocks are, it's very, it's much hotter. Um, and, but as, of course, as you go further out to the coast, um, you'll get co- colder and colder. And what did they say to go during low tide, right? For the hot, for the warmth. Yes. Yeah, so yep. so another thing you can do at the visitor center is get a tide chart. And you'll want to go during low tide so that it's not too cold. And it's not too, like, rough water. Um, but yeah, definitely. And, and there's, like, ladders and a little bit of infrastructure. There's, like, a little coffee shop or something where you can go and... Um, Change and it's all this is all free though. All these things have been free unless we've mentioned that it costs money. Yeah, so all of them except the uh, Terra the Nostra. Nostra. Mm-hmm. Uh, Even the tea, the tea factory was totally free. Anyway, um, m- next must do. Um, that, that was my a must do from me again was Ferraria. Yeah. 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 Just uh, is really crowded, but really. Um, just unique experience hot spring in the ocean and then definitely worth the stop was parque the parque the natural the natural park um da riviera dos caldera caldieros we're so bad at pronouncing portuguese by the way and it's impossible Uh, it's really hard (laughs) anyway there's like a it's riviera is waterfall right yeah or falls or something so this is a a a natural park that's feature that features this just beautiful gigantic waterfall and it's right off the road really easy to stop again it's free um you can just kind of explore a couple different waterfalls in this park um and it just has these a, a few of these walking paths that you can take pretty short stop maybe an hour or maybe two hours at the most um but definitely worth it um because it's free and it's just very scenic and beautiful yeah it's funny you say definitely worth it because this one for me was actually my disappointment of the really yeah um it, it was nice but i think it was a disappointment because it's kind of as much like similar to Sete Sedades, where it's the iconic picture you see of the Azores in San Miguel, this waterfall I felt like was one of the iconic images of the Azores. And, you know, it's kind of what I got in my mind as the Azores, this beautiful waterfall in this natural park. Um, and what I didn't really expect was that this waterfall, although very beautiful, is kind of in, uh, it's like a roadside stop, Yeah. basically. It's not like in a very natural setting. Um, but so, it's worth a stop on your circuit around yeah, the island. If because you're it's already close and it's going convenient. around that end of the island, Yeah. I definitely agree. Now, don't think about it as a, na- a national park, like, yeah. a, like a natural, you know, forest where you have miles and miles of trails definitely don't think about it like that it's a but natural worth, park worth like a s- garden <laughs> worth the stop for sure yeah and okay so the last thing on san miguel i'll mention is um on this same eastern end of the island where there was the parque natural da ribiera was a lighthouse uh in nor noreste i think was the village 
um, just a lighthouse that's really far down on the on the coast because all of mostly you're driving up high along the edge of the um, kind of plateau which gives you really cool views down uh, onto the cliffs and onto the ocean but this lighthouse was down on the coast so we in our rental car decided to take this super windy steep uh, road all the way down to the lighthouse because we didn't want to walk all that way um, and this was definitely my scariest moment of the trip where we were driving back up and going down it was you know a little touchy but definitely doable obviously because you're just using gravity but going up this windy road that's basically a one lane or basically the size of a driveway in a stick shift on cobblestone super hairpin turns um, that was a really scary uh, challenge and it died at one point which was the worst it stalled out because it just couldn't get up the steepness of the the curve um, so I had to you know on like start it from go or start it from from nothing into first gear on one of the steepest inclines I've ever been on and <laughs> that was that was my scary moment so I guess the point here is um, that's something I remember but also that think twice before taking your rental cars down these precarious roads because you might be able to go down but getting up is probably <laughs> even harder definitely so anyway tons of stuff to do on Sao Miguel like we said that was the, the where we spent by far the most time and where we wanted to spend the most time because it's it's just a, a big island with lots to do. Um, and we did much more than this, too, which you can see all the stuff we did on the trip report. Um, but these were definitely our favorite things and our highlights. Yeah. So, Moving on mm -hmm. to South George, um, which I define as hiking, cheese, and the fajas. What's a faja? <laughs> it is another term that we learned when we went to the Azores. We had never heard of this land form, I guess. It's kind of like a, a type of land. Anyway, um, it's a faja is where the where the island like plateaus out. So and what caused it? Like a like a I don't know if it's a rock slide erosion or, I, or something, right? It's, it's probably like the volcanic um, like magma or, or lava like leveling out on, into the ocean and building this kind of uh, plateau or, or shelf, like I guess. Flat shelf plain. right, right uh, before you get to the ocean. So. Yeah, so it goes from like cliff, like high, steep cliff, straight down to like almost the ocean level, but then it flattens out. And it's very unique to this island. Um, you know, probably other islands in the Azores also have these landforms, um, but definitely it's iconic in South George. And in South George, this was where a lot of the villages were. So we got to see one in particular that was called Faja dos Vimes, and that one is really known for its coffee. Um, and actually, this 
uh, for me was a bit of a disappointment. I'd say this is my disappointment of the island, just because we didn't really get to experience like the coffee. You know, didn't really see how it was made, or you know, see them growing it as much uh, like I kind of expected to see when we went down to this village. It's a very natural, you know, in, in some ways that's cool because it's not super geared towards tourists. Um, but we went down there kind of thinking this is a interesting look into the coffee industry. And it was just kind of we stopped at this cafe and it had some good coffee. Was it good? Well. Do you like the co- Did you like the coffee? Not really. No. <laughs> um, I'm not a big fan of Portuguese coffee. Yeah. It's so little. It, it's like it's an espresso. Too, it's too well, strong. Well, it is an espresso. Yeah. It, it is, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Um, they take it with a lot of sugar. If you really... it's just gross. Yeah. Anyway, keep going. If you really like coffee... I'm American. <laughs> <laughs> and if you want to experience a cool Faja, uh, go to Faja dos Vimes. Um, the hike that we did was cool, though, I thought. So we just hiked, like, up and away from the town on the little, like, yeah. ATV road that they have um, that goes out up and away from town. And, again, we just kind of hiked until I got too tired, and then we turned around and yeah. hiked back to town. But you could continue all the way to the next Faja. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Along the cliffside, which looked pretty cool. Definitely cool. Um, okay, and then Faja do... Oivador? Oivador. Okay. <laughs> oh, this is the one that... With the natural pools. Yeah, with the natural yeah. pools. So this was like a must... This was something we had read as a, pretty much a must-do in South George, and it definitely did not disappoint. Yeah. Th- this was actually my surprise. Again, probably because, because I didn't, didn't do, do any, any of the plan. research. <laughs> uh, so I was very surprised at how cool it was, this Faja, uh, and particularly the natural pools at Faja do Oivador um, were so cool just to go and climb around all of the uh, lava rocks uh, that are right on the ocean. There, You can just go up and down the nooks and crannies of these um, like crazy. And they also create a lot of pools, a lot of very secluded coves. Uh, like they say, they're natural swimming pools. So that was really neat. Um, to go to the main one, um, you just saw all of these, you know, it's just very, it's surrounded by towering lava cliffs. And um, you could even see like the hexagonal formations. I don't know if you all um, have, have seen other places. It's kind of like a geologic phenomenon where um, I think it's metamorphic rock gets, uh, because of the pressure, gets m- formed into hexagonal columns and you'll see, like other places I've seen this is Northern Ireland at the Giant's Causeway um, but it was here in the Azores too and it was just really neat to see these uh, this cliff made up of these hexagonal uh, lava columns so yeah and basalt, you, you took a little dip I did not really go in because it was way too cold um, but you can swim in these natural pools too, and they're they're not thermal pools. They're not hot, but they're definitely very cool and scenic. Yeah, definitely not hot. Yeah, we wanted but worth it. so on Sao George, there is some hiking. We wanted to do one kind of bigger hike. Um, so the one that we chose was starting at no, we we ended at um, Faja dos Cubres, and 
Faja do Santa Cristo. So those were the two Fajas we hiked down to. We started up at the road, like at the... Um, Basically the spine. Yes. You know, it's a very long island with the plateau and it has a spine you know along it definitely get the brochure because it's more descriptive than what i am saying right yeah. now um but there's a place to park your car up on the road and you basically hike down which i'm a big fan of for about six miles um and then we down at fajados kubres we got a taxi back up to our car uh which i can't remember how much that was at this point but it was, it was definitely reasonable. affordable. Yeah, it was very like 20, $25 or something. Yeah, so for to do this like long downhill hike was really, really cool. So we got to hike along the spine and then basically just down, 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 down to this faja. And then up a little and down a little to this other faja along the cliff. Um, so very cool. Really cool way to see two, two uh, little cities, little towns that you can't drive to, right? I guess the second one you can because we took a taxi out of it. Right. Um, But the first one is totally walking. I think you could take like a four-wheeler. ATV. An ATV, Mm -hmm. yeah, which the locals were were using a lot. Um, But you cannot drive too. So that was the really cool, quaint, charming little town. Yeah. And one thing we haven't touched on too much yet is the weather. The weather in the Azores being islands in the middle of the ocean is... Um, notoriously fickle and we had generally great weather Um, this is one hike I wish we had a little better weather because it was kind of socked in especially at the beginning yeah yeah lots of clouds Um, we didn't see much in the cool view you know we we should have seen a lot more (laughs) yeah so uh, another good reason to have a couple days and try to time your you know a big hike like this for the best weather day um, and then on the worst weather day, you can mm-hmm. do the last thing we did, the thing we did on our way out of the island, which is stop by one of the famous cheese factories. Yes, and I think in the summer, they probably have more established tour times and things like that. We just kind of like walked into this factory, and there was a, a worker there who gave us a few samples. And... The whole thing lasted maybe 20 minutes. Yeah. Answered questions about the process, talked about the different types of cheese. We got a very large amount of samples. Yeah. Very generous. And it was sad because I, I didn't really... I, I tried a little bit, even though it was unpasteurized, and I probably shouldn't have because I was pregnant. Um, but I definitely didn't have my fill of delicious unpasteurized cheese as much as they she gave us as much as she offered us yeah i took care of it though yeah um but that is one of the biggest things of sao george is the cheese they export a ton of it uh it's really well known throughout europe even across to the u.s um and definitely worth a stop and what i another thing i loved about this cheese factory maybe others was that they didn't like take you through this tour and drop you off at the gift shop or even expect you after you had gotten all these samples to buy a bunch of it um, you actually didn't have that option because there was no store like we went into their you know basically into the factory um, side room and got these samples and there was no place to buy anything mm-hmm. so that was cool yeah, and we should say the name of the cheese factory we visited was Finisterra. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but there are like three main factories I think that you can visit on South George. So yeah. definitely go to the little visitor center, get all the information you need. Yes. Now, from from South George, we ferried as we mentioned to Pico. So, um, talking about and that was a nice little like what two hour ferry. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, it was it was lovely because you know the views. We were almost the only ones on it. <laughs> yeah, of the islands on either side of you as you're crossing the channel were awesome, and um, Pico is you know, I think the second most populous island uh, to São Miguel. It also has uh, it's basically one big volcano, uh, and from anywhere on the island you can look up to. The volcano, you know, peak, and that peak is the highest point in all of Portugal. So that's really cool too. Um, and you know, the three things that you can expect from Pico are the mountain, Pico Mountain, whales, because out of all the Azorean islands that all have great whale watching. Pico is especially good year-round, so no matter when you go, you can see good whales, um, including sperm whales, which blew my mind that you could actually see sperm whales uh, from these tours. I didn't realize that. I thought they were just way deep and nobody ever saw them, but that was super cool. Cole's got this weird fascination with sperm whales. They are... I think more than other people, just to give you a little extra information <laughs> they are definitely the coolest whale out there there's it's not a competition they are gigantic i mean i like i'm a fan of orcas they're personally. gigantic and they're carnivores <laughs> they battle giant squids thousands and thousands of feet below the ocean and um they can dive they they dive so quickly and so deep um I don't know. I should look up some really uh, mind blowing stats. Actually. <laughs> uh, just wait. Uh, check the show notes. There you go. <laughs> now, uh, sperm whales are the coolest, uh, uh, but there's all types of whaling in Pico. And then the third thing is the wine. The wine. Yeah. Which the combination of these three things, in hindsight, did not make the best um, island for a baby moon because wine, I couldn't do. The mountain I couldn't hike because it's a really intense, very, very intense hike. Um, And so even if the weather had been perfect and we wanted to do it. And then the whale watching tour, because it was the off season, I didn't know this either, but we were going to do whale watching. Um, That was like one of the big things we wanted to pay for, you know, splurge on. I think it's around $65 uh, per person for like a three-hour tour. And then... um, but what I didn't know was that because it was the off-season, they used their smaller boats in the off-season. They're a lot rougher, and they do not allow pregnant women on the on these smaller boats. So kind of all three things were eliminated for me. <laughs> Somehow we still had a very good time on this island um, because there are a few other cool things to do and, and definitely just driving around and and stopping at some of the scenic views. And um, we, we did a couple of other cool things that we'll mention right now. Yeah, I will say, um, since we didn't really get to do any of those three things, to me this was like, uh, this was the one I felt like lacking a little bit. Like I I just, 
we we missed the mark a little bit on this one, and it wasn't necessarily anybody's fault. It was just kind of it was mostly the weather circumstance. Too. The yeah. weather was pretty bad. It rained a lot. We actually never saw, which I think is actually kind of common, but we never saw Pico from the island of Pico, right? Yeah. The mountain. We only ever saw it from South George, which I think because of the you know because of the weather that the mountain creates. Um, there's always this like cloud bank low, so you so it's blocking like the top. But from a distance, you can see the top, the you know the peak, the top of, of Pico. Um, so that's another good tip to if you're staying for a while in Pico, maybe just take the ferry over to Sao George for the day and just you know do a little circuit around the island and um, do a short hike or or just drive and you could maybe get a cool view of, of the of uh, the mountain. Yeah, which we definitely did. Yeah. Um, but in place of those, you know, the mountain hike and the whale watching tour, we did a circuit around the um, the island, rented a car again, uh, still recommend there. And um, the there were kind of three cool things there. Um, one of them was the whaling museum, which was really well done it's it's on the you know just in a small town on your circuit around the island there's two of them i would recommend the whale the whaling museum that has the boats not the whaling museum that is you know like the old whale processing factory um full disclosure didn't go to that one but the whaling museum with the boats sounded cooler and it was cool um just a lot of history of the industry and the artifacts and, and whatnot. Um, yeah, and grab the audio tour because I thought that was worth it too. They have like a little audio headset you can you can use to accompany you on the through the museum, and I definitely enjoyed that. Yeah, yeah, and uh, then we also did a cave tour mm-hmm. because we had a little time, and because you don't have to have good weather for a cave. And that was really cool too. It was called the Gruta dos Torres, um, and just kind of went through, and the guide, you know, there's like a short little video, and then the guide talks you through through the cave, um, but, you know, definitely not the coolest cave I've ever been in, um, but worth it for what, for what the time we had, I thought. Yeah, it's eight euros, so reasonable price, and it's a lava cave. So it's kind of unfair to compare it to maybe the limestone caves we have in Missouri because they're not going to have the crazy uh, stalagmites, stalactites that we have here. Uh, they have you know whatever formations that lava can cool and and form into. So they have a couple drips along the ceiling, maybe like shark teeth, you know, looking things, or they have big bulbs of. Uh, fast cooled lava on the ground like bubbles that didn't pop type things um so it it was just a different type of cave all you know really black um either smooth flowing lava or uh, which i think is the pie there's two types of lava there's really smooth stuff uh like ropey lava and then there's like the popcorn um rough cut you up lava that that cooled really fast into like jaggedness um anyway definitely worth it doing the cave tour and then 
the third thing, so the, the Whaling Museum cave tour and uh, touring the Pico wine. Um, I don't know, what would you call them? The, the wine, not gardens, not even farms. Not vineyards either. Yeah, like they're like fields. wine. Yeah, fields. Yeah. <laughs> um, really interesting because they have a network of all these really small, intricate um, uh, walls built on the, the kind of um, coastal shelves. And uh, what those and inside the walls, like each kind of pin, it's like a ten by ten room uh, where they put all their vines, and they they you know have their wines that grow the grape or vines that grow the grapes. I don't know. I'm struggling with this because it's such a (laughs) it's a very weird thing, and it's to block the wind, right? Yeah. Yeah, So basically, it's it's really windy. Little like three or four foot. Or even maybe not even three foot rock walls that are in tiny little uh, squares, yeah, and that house these these uh, and kind of protect shield these these grapes. Yeah, and you can drive through this kind of their wine country area and see this whole network of of walled plots. Um, and at one point, you can even climb a lookout tower and see over all of them. Um, that was really cool. And so, and there's a wine museum too. We didn't go to the museums, but uh, definitely appreciate the wine culture while you're there. Yeah, absolutely. Indulge if you can, if you're not pregnant. Yes. For sure. <laughs> and do a whale watching tour. It was definitely a disappointment that we couldn't, but, um, and they are, you know, a little pricier. They're like, I don't know, 60 euros a person. Yeah. Um, but, I, they sound so worth it. Oh, super worth the splurge. Yeah. We, we tried. Even Cole, Cole would have gone too without me, um, but the weather kind of canceled one of the tours. So try, you know, whenever you get to Pico, try to do it right away. If you can't do it, try to do it the next day. Um, definitely would suggest that. All so right. we have made our way through activities, finally. That's definitely the most fun part anyway. So I'm glad we spent a little bit of time on activities do you want to briefly touch on budgeting before yeah, we I forgot get to we our like final recommendations? The budgeting we're not going to get into too much. Basically, we we found the Azores to be much much cheaper than we expected, and especially for a Europe vacation that's islandy, that's got great hiking and views and and all all you know food and, and all that it good feels stuff. Feels exotic. Yeah, it was very cheap, so we added it all up. So not counting the flights to or from the islands, but, but including the flights within the islands. So all the, t- the nine days that we spent, we spent $1,355 total, which ended up being $150.56 per day. That was for both of us. So as far as vacations go, definitely affordable. We didn't feel like we were being too stingy, right? No, definitely not. Um, <laughs> it helped that most things were free. It was your baby moon, so we splurged all over the place, right? <laughs> kind of, uh, relatively. Yeah. So about seventy-five dollars per person if you're, you know, doing. A we're still on a budget. budget. Yeah. We still went grocery shopping. We still, you know, we ate out at least once a day, but we didn't eat out every single meal. Um, we did a lot of hiking and free activities. We, our accommodations were definitely on the cheap side. 
So if you're in a moderately, yeah, you can definitely do it cheaper than this. Um, but yeah, we spent about $75 a person per day. And most of it was for the transportation, rental car, gas, um, inner island travel. Yeah, like the flights from, from San Miguel to Sao George, the rental cars, yeah, like he said, all that stuff add, adds up a little bit. And I got a $75 prenatal massage. So that was a ow, ow. very big chunk. That was like my whole budget that day, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so quick budget tips. Um, carefully craft your island hopping plan. Figure out what islands you really want to check out. So basically, we were able to piece together all of this one-way travel from Boston to Ponta Delgada, from Ponta Delgada to the island of Sao George, the ferry from Sao George to Pico, a ferry from Pico to Fael, a flight from Fael to Lisbon, a train from Lisbon to Porto, and a flight from Porto back to the U.S., so that's our style. We like that one-way travel because, you know, then we're not... There were definitely flights. A lot of the flights within the Azores went back through Sao Miguel. Um, so if you plan it well, you can avoid some of that redundant travel. Yeah, and it also saves you time, too. Besides usually being cheaper, um, saves you precious time. Definitely. Um and then also book a rental car ahead of time. They're much cheaper online and learn how to drive a stick shift uh, or at <laughs> least have one person in your your party this, know how to drive a stick manual shift. Manual cars were way cheaper. Like we're talking $8 a day on San Miguel. Very, very cheap through Priceline. Um, but automatic cars were way more expensive. So if you know how to drive a stick shift, that's a huge plus. And as always, see what the grocery stores are like. Um, you know, go at the beginning and maybe make that your breakfast or something if you still want to enjoy eating out every day or, you know, have a couple days where you can pack a sack lunch or something. Even if you plan on eating out, having snacks is so beneficial because then you're, there's no, like, pressure to find a restaurant. I think that's what we get caught on sometimes when we're not prepared where then we're hungry and we're just finding something because we're hungry, not because we, you know, looked it up ahead of time and, and really wanted to try this, this restaurant. Um, so we always go to the grocery store and get some, like, hard cheese and crackers or peanut butter and apples and bananas, some things that we can just grab and eat. Yeah. So, so definitely budget, worth it. Budget tips, craft your flights, uh, prepare ahead of time by booking rental car, and then check out the grocery store. Um, and the final section here, general takeaways and tips. What do you have, Elizabeth? So we just had some things that surprised us about the Azores. We touched on the affordability. So we were kind of taken aback by how cheap it was, how affordable it was. Um, we were also surprised about how uncrowded and quaint and still untouched it was because we had heard you know we kept hearing about the azores in all sorts of publications online um, and we kept hearing people talk about it in podcasts and and on blogs and websites and we expected to go there and be like you know have it already be a little bit ruined by tourism but it was completely I, i felt like in the in the off season granted it was still very very untouched um which kind of comes with a couple other things like definitely always have cash on you we ran into some places where we could not use our credit card which we were really surprised about 
Definitely be prepared. Always have gas in the car. Things like that. So especially if you visit in the off season, you know, a lot of restaurants were closed in the middle of the day um, and only had lunch hours and dinner hours. So just kind of be prepared because it is still, you know, a small town feel. Um, and then the other, another thing that we were pretty surprised about was that although we had heard it was this like crazy adventure, adventurer's paradise, similar to New Zealand with like opportunities for, I was picturing like Mountain bungee biking. jumping and all yeah, sorts of paragliding. things that, like, that you think about in, in New Zealand. Um, it was not quite that, I wouldn't say. Yeah. They had a lot. They and, I'd say and it definitely was in the summer. Anyone's paradise is, yeah, is the main thing. For sure. And I think in the summer they have a lot more like kayaking tours and some zip lining and some like things like that that are a little more touristy. Um, but we definitely didn't think it was like this this intimidating um, adrenaline junkies place. Yeah, it is something for everyone, for yeah. sure. And that goes into the last point of island diversity. Every island is a little bit different. Like, we didn't even touch on one of the islands, Tertiera, I think that's how you pronounce it, is more of the party island. So if that's more your scene, check that out. Um, so really take some time, get to know all nine of the islands and what they might have um, and you can craft your trip any which way which we felt like we were able to do definitely I think we had a uh, we created a perfect baby moon for exactly what we wanted it was not very different from our normal trips maybe just like switchbacks light yeah like, I like slightly it. <laughs> slightly lighter lighter intensity than our normal normal travels which might be a new theme uh, because although you're no longer pregnant, we have a little three-week-old now who is still being quite... Um, quite the trooper. Yeah, we quite agreeable. We haven't had to pause this podcast at all. He's just, he's just snoozing away. Yep, so love that. I'm sure he won't be snoozing for long, so we better wrap this up and try to get... Some bit of sleep tonight. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. But it was really fun reminiscing about the Azores. Definitely. Um, I, it was a great trip, and I, I want to make sure we give it its due because it seemed like it came and went so fast. Mm -hmm. So thanks, everybody, for checking us out today. We'll be back next month uh, in you know the first Monday of August. Should I say that? Uh, probably let's do not. It. Yeah, let's um, be confident. Yeah, and we might have a, a special interview for you all then. Um, so uh, check, uh, be ready to check that out. Um, uh, we're trying to line up something with a tour guide we had in Africa which uh, he was one of our favorite parts of the whole 59-day uh, overland tour we had was this one tour guide uh, in Zimbabwe. Um, crazy interesting and educational perspectives on rhinos and aboriginals. I'll just leave it there. You're really plugging this if it doesn't happen. Yeah, I haven't contacted him about the interview yet, uh, except for mentioning it on, you know, the, when I saw him last back last summer. So we might be getting your hopes up for nothing. But regardless, if you enjoyed this podcast, we'd love for you to share us with a friend. Give us a rating on iTunes, find us on Facebook, Instagram, 
Blah, blah, blah. Oh, hello. Good morning. And you can always get more national parks and international travel videos, posts, guides, uh, and more on our blog at switchbackkids.com. Switchbacks, Switchbacks out. out.